Good morning. Feedback. Awesome. They gave me a remote control. Not sure why. Here it is. Uh, my name's Brad. It is nice to see you. Uh, for those of you who haven't met, I'm the lead pastor around here, and uh, I'm glad you're here. We are in week two of our new series called Body, Soul, Spirit, uh, which is our study into how to find true wholeness. Our culture has a way of saying we want to be whole, we want to feel good about ourselves, and so we start adding things to who we are, but the Bible says something clear about how to find wholeness. Uh, it says that you, you, you find wholeness by believing who God says you are, and it transform you, transforms you from the inside out. So last week we talked about the three versions of ourselves, or the three parts to ourselves. And Mr. Roger, will you throw that up on the screen for me real quick, and fire up that, that machine? So we have body, soul, spirit. That's who we are. Uh, we have a spirit within us uh, that has the image of God. When, when you were born, when, when God breathed into Adam the breath of life, it's the breath that awoken his spirit. And then outside of that, we have our soul, which is our mind, intellect, will. This is, this is the, the soul of us. We have the soul. And then we have our bodies, which is what you've your skin suit that you walk around in, whatever you want to call it, body, soul, spirit. Now, we usually talk about, uh, uh, when we talk about this, usually we, we, in our world, we think, well, we don't have a spiritual side because sometimes we like to ignore that. And so we focus on soul and body. So when we want to talk about how to change or we want to talk about how to become whole, we focus on the soul. And how do we change that? According to culture, we change our body. And so our change then comes from the outside in. What scripture talks about is totally different. Paul talks about this in his writing. When he came to Christ in Acts, his spirit was awoken, his soul was revived, and his body was changed. Jesus talks about changing us from the inside out, from the soul, from the spirit to the soul to the body. You follow me? Okay. Most of the, now today, we're going to look at this one guy in scripture who is, uh, he's one of my favorites to study because once you study him, you can look at his story and go, oh, cool. Then you go away for a couple days and you come back and that same story has something more to it. He's one of my favorites to look at and I know it's hard to say his name's not Jesus and we're always supposed to say Jesus is my favorite, yay. No, this guy, Jesus is good, don't, don't mishear me. Uh, he's great, uh, he's the best, but Jacob The story of Jacob is a story of a man that was struggling with this because Jacob had an identity crisis. Not identity theft, but identity crisis. Jacob struggled with who he really was on the inside. And so Jacob tried his hardest to identify himself by living in that soul circle and ignoring everything about the spirit circle. You follow? And so he was trying to change himself from the outside in. And Jacob, we find these three realities, and you'll see them in your bulletin. It's uh, the three realities about our identity, and that we can learn from Jacob, that our identity is beyond our behavior, it's beyond our, our, what's the bulletin say, I left mine over there, beyond belief, and so if you're a Petra fan, you know beyond belief, it's an old Christian rock song, and then it's also beyond brokenness. So that's six B's. You like that? My name's Brad. This is Bethany Ballard. And my wife hates that joke. Thank you, Carrie. 
She's right there. So those are the realities. This is who Jacob was. So the first one we look at was beyond behavior. So we look at Jacob in this first reality. And it's vital that we see this moving forward. That identity is not something uh, that, that we earn by how we act. What God says about you, your truest identity, and the core of who you are is beyond your behavior. Let's look at Jacob's story a little bit. Jacob is the son of Isaac. Isaac is the son of Abraham. Abraham is the one who God said, I'm going to give you a nation. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. But really we're going to look at Isaac because he had two sons. Isaac gave birth to Jacob. Or Isaac gave birth to Jacob and his twin brother Esau. Here's the thing. When uh, Jacob and Esau were in the womb together, Rebekah, Jacob, or Jacob's, or Isaac's wife, was having a hard time with her pregnancy. And she didn't know what was going on. And so God told her this in Genesis 25. Here's what they said. Here's what God said. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered the prayer. And his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her. And she said, why is this happening to me? I think every pregnant woman asks that question. (laughs) What did I do? The Lord said to her, two nations are inside your womb. And two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other. The older will serve the younger. Now here's the thing. In that day... The younger usually served the older. So here's what happened. Birth time came. Birth plan is going swimmingly. And they're born. Esau comes out first. But as he's coming out of the womb, his hand, there's a hand attached to his heel. It's Jacob. Jacob's trying to get a head start. Jacob lived into this kind of name as the one who was always trying to get ahead of the game. Jacob was born a weasel, you could say. Just trying, his, his name can be translated one who assails, one who overcomes, one who tries to finagle. Weasel, someone who's trying to pull one over on you all the time. This is Jacob. And Jacob is always trying to live into a different identity of who he is. Here's how Jacob's life turns out. He was supposed to get the birthright. He's the younger God had told him, the younger will serve the older. This is who God says is going to receive the blessing. But Jacob is trying to earn something that is already his. You follow? Before he was born, before he did anything, God said, the youngest one is the one that's going to be in charge. And all the youngest children went, right? Am I the only youngest child here? Okay, my brothers and sister hate that. But anyways, this is the promise. Now, Jacob did nothing to earn this. He did nothing to earn this approval. But the problem is Jacob tried to earn it later. He meets Esau after Esau's been out uh, hunting all day. Esau is known as someone who's more outdoorsy. Jacob is more of an indoorsy person. Esau goes out hunting and he comes back and he's starving. And Jacob has prepared for him a nice dinner and says, look, for the price of your birthright, which is the approval, for the price of your approval, I'll give you some soup. And Esau goes, great, I'll take it. And then later, as Isaac was dying, he was blind. And as Isaac was dying, he said, bring in Esau, I'm going to bless him. 
Mom hears this, thinks back to what was said to her when she was pregnant, and says, this is not how it's supposed to happen. She takes matters into her own hand and says, look, Jacob, you're not going to get the approval. Here's what you need to do. Put on a fur coat so you can pretend to be Esau, which begs the question, how hairy is Esau? (laughs) And then, so he puts on the coat. He walks in with this beautiful meal of fresh game is what the scripture calls it so it's meat praise the lord walks in and says here dad and and isaac goes who is this and the first time now notice this the first time jacob introduces himself he says i am esau jacob is trying to earn something that's already being his There's this thing that we need to pay attention to in Scripture. The first time a word is used, the first time a character is spoken of, and the first time the character speaks of themselves. It's the first mentions law. I don't know if it's officially called that. In my head it is. This is the first time Jacob says, I'm somebody else. I'm trying to be something. Jacob is not living to his core identity, something that already has given to him. He's trying to add on to it. If I can just pretend to be Esau, then everyone will approve me. Dad will actually love me. And I'll get everything I'm asking for. If I can just be someone else. If I can just behave like my brother, if I can just look like my brother, if I can just hunt like my brother, if I enjoyed hiking and camping. And so what happens is Esau hears about this. And like you would, you'd be very upset too. He says, I'm going to kill him. And so Esau chases after him. And if a big, hairy, outdoorsy person is chasing you, what do you do? You run and you hope you're faster. And so he goes and he takes off and he outruns Esau and he gets away from him. That night when he's out running, he sleeps, he has a dream, and this is where Jen uh, just read. And as he's sleeping in verse 12 of verse 28, he had a dream, and he saw the stairway to heaven with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it said the Lord, said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land in which you are lying. This is the same promise that God gave to Abraham back in Genesis 12 when God met Abraham and and the covenant was began. Now here's the thing. Jacob had just lied. Jacob had just stolen. Jacob had ran away. He was living into his weaselness. He was going and God, and what does God do? God never takes the promise away from him. Because at Jacob's core is someone whom God loves. There is no preconditional checklist in order for Jacob to receive the blessing that God has promised. It's his. The only thing he needed to do was actually claim it. But because Jacob was living in that soul region of his body, he kept adding things to it. And we do the same thing. We define ourselves not by who we are. We define ourselves by external things that we think make us whole instead of what God might say about us. We define ourselves by our political parties. We define ourselves by our sexual identity. We define ourselves by our jobs, by our cars, by our bank accounts. Whatever you want to define yourself as, that's who we think we are. 
And when we do that, we are not living into what God says about you in your primary root, in the core of who you are. When he says before you are anything, you are loved, you are whole, you are mine. This is where our identity starts. And this is where Jacob starts. Jacob has to learn that there's nothing he can do to earn it. Jesus experienced this. Jesus comes out uh, and he goes to meet John. He's baptized. Before Jesus does anything, he goes and he's baptized. And as he comes out of the water, do you know the words that, that God spoke over him? The dove comes down, there's light shining, there's angels soaring. And what is said about him from God? Do we know? This is my son in whom I am what? Well pleased. Read the story. Did Jesus do any miracles up until this point? No. He simply went and was baptized. There was nothing he could do to earn what he got that when he came up. It was, this is my son and I'm well pleased. The same is true with Jacob. He did nothing to gain this approval. The same was true with Abraham. What did Abraham do? He just walked outside and met God and God said, I'm going to use you. I don't care that you come from a a land of idol worship. I'm going to show you who I am. Jacob, from the beginning, needs to learn that your identity is not something that you can earn. It's something you already have. And once we realize this, it will transform us. But the transformation doesn't begin with earning. The transformation becomes or begins with receiving. We need to receive our identity first. The second reality that we come to is it's beyond belief. Again, let's look at this. Uh, look, at the, uh, look at the picture of, or the story of what happens with Jacob in verse 12. He had a dream, and he saw a stairway resting on the earth, and God said to him, look what God says here, I am the Lord, Yahweh, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. Who's missing in that equation? Jacob. Jacob doesn't know who this God is. This is God introducing himself to him. He's like, nice to meet you. I know your father and your grandfather. I'm their gods. At this point, it's believed that Jacob doesn't believe in God yet. He just met him. How could he? God's saying, hey, you don't know me. Here's who I am. This is, is an important principle that I had to learn in, in, uh, in, when I was doing youth ministry with uh, Youth for Christ. It was people need to belong but necessarily before they believe. And this is what God is doing. Look, I'm choosing you. I want you to come follow me. I love you. This is who I, I, I'm, I'm for you. You don't have to believe in me in order for God to say that to you. You don't have to believe that. God says this to Jacob. You don't believe in me yet. Doesn't matter. You will. Watch. You can belong before you believe. And this is what what God is saying to him. Jacob belonged to God long before Jacob believed in God. We often mix this up too. We say in order to to have God pleased by us, or in in order for us to please God, we have to agree to this long list of theology, right? We have to have all the right answers. We have to know everything. We have to do so many classes and we have, to be, uh, we have to go through so many rituals. And then maybe once you know enough, then you can belong. Is that how God operates? No. God says you have your doubts. You don't necessarily believe in everything. That's fine. 
I'll meet you there. I can meet you in that unbelief. He, the, the cliche, you might not believe everything about God, but guess what? He believes in everything about you. And he wins. And so he, he meets Jacob right here. He says, you don't have to have all the right answers. You don't have to know who I am. I'm still calling you and I'm still giving you this promise. And he goes through the promise. The land which you are on will be yours. You will have descendants that have a nation. The same promise that's given to Abraham, given to Jacob long before he believed. Oftentimes when we have doubts in our faith, it causes us to run away from our faith. We get ashamed. We're embarrassed. We think because we have doubts, we can't belong anymore. I was a, a youth pastor in San Diego at a, play, at a church, and I was just out of college, and, and I, I was having these problems, this existential theological price, crisis, right? And so I, I went to my boss thinking, I don't know if I believe any of the stuff that I'm teaching these kids, and I'm waiting for him to come back and say, well, you can clean out your desk, and that's it, because I had this doubt. I thought that that was enough to get me canned. And so I go to him and, he, and I tell him everything. I don't know if I believe this. I don't know if I believe this. This is confusing to me. I'm having lists of doubts and I listed them all. And his name's Darren. He's a wonderful, wonderful man. And he leans back and he just got a grin and goes, cool. And I'm thinking, okay, here it comes. And he goes, it's fine that you have doubts, Brad. I have doubts. And I'm thinking, what? He goes, I have doubts all the time. Doubts are normal, he says. If you didn't doubt anything, I'd be nervous. But your doubts are not something that keeps you away from Jesus. Not believing in some things or having trouble wrapping your head around other things is not something that keeps you out of bounds. Darren says your doubts are invitations to explore. You're never going to have all the answers. And there'll be times when you have answers and there'll be times when those answers aren't good enough and you'll have to find new ones. Your doubts are invitations. And this is the model we also see with Jesus. And, and after this thing, Darren, to, to encourage me, Darren goes, you cool? Okay, let's go get tacos because we're in San Diego and you can't find better tacos. And so we went and got tacos. So everything was fine. My doubts got me tacos and I couldn't believe it. <laughs> but this is what happened with Jesus. He's been raised from the dead. And this guy named Thomas, one of his disciples, is having a hard time believing it. In fact, he says in John 20, uh, now Thomas, uh, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came around the first time. So the other disciples told him we'd seen the Lord. But he said to him, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. How many of us have said something like that? And you can almost hear Thomas's disdain when he says that, I won't believe it until I see it. And we go, yeah, yeah, you do that, Thomas. That makes total sense. Dude, raised from the dead, how have we seen that before? So here's what happens a week later. So Thomas is living with this, that doubt for a week. A week later, his disciples were in the same house again. Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. Right there, I would have said, yeah, well, I'm good, we're in. Dude walked through a locked door. And so then he says, peace be with you, because they were probably scared at that time. Then, Th- then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out with your hand. Put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. 
And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Now, if we go by our own logic and say doubts will keep you away, what does Jesus show us here? Nope, doubts are an invitation. Even though he doubted, Jesus came to him and said, look, I'm here. You can doubt all you want. I'm right here. Explore. Put your finger right there. Put your hand into my side. Check this out. Doubts didn't keep Thomas away. Doubts didn't say you're excluded. Doubts didn't make Thomas less loved. Instead, doubts made Jesus come to him even more and said, find me. In the middle of your doubt, you'll reach out and touch me. You think that your doubts define you and that you can no longer be loved by God because you're doubting. Thomas shows you something completely different. Jacob didn't even believe in what God was doing, didn't even know God, and yet he's called and he's loved. Your identity is beyond what you believe in. It's beyond your set of doctrine. Your identity is deeper than that. Your identity is you are loved by God. In the middle of your doubts, you are loved. It's beyond your belief. And then lastly, our identity is beyond brokenness. Here's what happens. Jacob's on the run again. In the story, he goes and he meets his wife, Rachel, and he makes a deal with Rachel's dad and says, I'll work for you for this many years if you give me Rachel. Now Laban, Rachel's dad, is just as weaselly as Jacob. And he goes, fine, that's a good deal. Jacob works seven years. Jacob gets married. But when he, gets, he wakes up the next morning, that's not Rachel. I don't know how that happened. And then... And, and, <laughs> And so he, he marries Leah. And then he goes back to Laban. And I imagine that conversation going, what did you do to me? And so he works for another seven years and marries Rachel. They have children. And then there's this animosity, as you would imagine, between Laban and son-in-law. And they start bickering and fighting. And Jacob pulls a Jacob and starts ripping Laban off and starts stealing some flocks. And then it comes out that Laban finds out and he chases again Jacob out of town. Does it sound familiar? Jacob's life is repeating itself. He ripped off Esau. Chased out of town. He rips off Laban. He's chased out of town. And finally they get to one place and they, they, they make a, a literal line in the sand. And Laban says, I'm good as long as you don't come over here. And you're good as long as I don't come over here. You see? You, you stay on your side, I'll stay on my side. That's what my brothers and I did when we divided the room in half when we shared rooms. That's my side, that's your side. You come over here and we're going to have a fight. And this is what they were doing. And so he makes this pact. But now here's the problem. He's got no place to go. He's got Laban here, and he's got Esau here. What's he do? And so he devises a plan. He's going to go home. He had a dream. He dreams a lot. He goes home, and he has to deal with Esau. You can imagine he's being a little nervous. Esau wanted to kill him. Now now he's got to go face him again. And so he makes this plan. He comes up. He says, here's what I'll do. I'll send out a reconnaissance group. I'll send out the special forces. They'll go. They'll spy on Esau. They'll take his temperature to see how I'm doing and, and how we're doing. If he's still upset about this, he's still mad. And so he, the reconnaissance group comes back and says, yeah, he's still angry. He's going to bring 400 people with him to meet you. Oh, great. 400 people. And so he makes another plan. Here's what he'll do. He'll offer gifts, everything that Jacob has. He'll offer it to Esau in order to get him on his good side. So he sends out his flocks. And then he, by this time, he's married to four women. He sends out his fourth wife, then his third wife. 
then his second wife, then the kids, and then he sends out Rachel, all to meet Esau first. Meanwhile, Jacob is standing in the back going, I wonder what he's going to do to them. Do you see what kind of person Jacob is? He's not really the kind of guy you want to trust. He's willing to sacrifice everything he has in order to save his own skin. And so he sends them out and they says, if you were to go and if he says, who are you? Say that this is a gift from Jacob. And if he attacks the first group and kills them, you back three have a chance to escape. So sorry, fourth wife. You're the, you're the guinea pig here. And so, but the, Jacob then goes back and he, he has this experience. We're not sure if he was sleeping or not, but he was left alone in his camp. And in verse 24, he says this, Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. The man said, let go of me, for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let go until you bless me. Do you see the problem here? Jacob's already been blessed. And he's still wrestling with it, trying to earn it. He was blessed long ago. He says, this land's already yours. I won't let go of you until I earn what this is. And the man said, what's your name? And Jacob replied, Jacob, this is huge. This is the first time Jacob says, my name is Jacob. Up until this point, Jacob has never called himself his own name. Remember, he was Esau. And he's been living, trying to gain the approval as if he was Esau his entire life. And until he met God and wrestled with him that night, he has been living under a false identity. And what happens here after he says, I'm Jacob, God, who was the man wrestling with him, goes, you're right. Because of this, I'm going to bless you. But your name is no longer Jacob. Your name is Israel. All of those things that you've tried to attach to make you accepted, I don't care about those. Your name is Israel. Now go meet your brother. We attach a lot of things to our names, trying to gain approval, trying to gain identity that we no longer have to wrestle for. We never had to wrestle for it in the first place. Jacob had to learn this the hard way, and he had to learn it on the far side of brokenness. Many of us have been wrestling with our identity for some time now. If I can just get this, if I could just do that, if I could just say that, if I can make this, if I can build that, then I will be whole. And you're wrestling the wrong wrestling match. You don't need to fight for it any longer. It's already yours. If I could just overpower this sin, if I can just break this habit, it's beyond your behavior. If I can just believe this, it's beyond your belief. What's God asked for? He asked for you to be comfortable in your own skin. Why? Because he made that skin. And he loves it. Who you are, God loves. Before you add anything to it, he loves you. This is your primary identity. Loved by God. 
There's one thing that happened to Jacob there. Yeah, he got a new name, but did you notice the part where the, the man touched his hip socket? At the end of the chapter, Jacob has learned that he no longer has to wrestle for this anymore. He's come to grips with who he is. He's now comfortable with his own skin. And so Jacob now stops the progression, goes to the front of the line. But as he's walking, he says, it says in verse 32, 31, he was limping because of his hip. The, the story goes that Jacob now walked with the limp his entire life. The man who thought that he had to be something extravagant is now walking with a limp. Do you see the irony here? It's through his brokenness where he, where he learns who he truly is. He doesn't have to perform anymore. He doesn't have to swindle. He doesn't have to be a weasel. He can be comfortable with who he is because that's, God, that's who God made him. And even though he has a limp, he is still walking to the front of the line because he's been changed and he's being used by God. Jacob lived into this promise. Brokenness is the key to finding out our true identity. Many of us are afraid of brokenness. But the only way to find it to, to grow, the only way to be transformed by the in, from the inside out is to be broken. Is not to hide your weaknesses, but allow God to transform and use your weaknesses. Because in the weakness, God is made strong. Every time Jacob took a step from that day forward, he was reminded, remember that night? I'm okay. I'm Israel. I'm blessed. I don't have to wrestle with it anymore. When you walked in today, I don't know if some of you received the name tags. Uh, and Did you all get them? Did you pick them up? Okay, on your way out, there's a name tag. Here's my challenge to you. Many of us have these names or, 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 or we have these identities and, and we paste them on us like we do name tags. I'm this, I'm that. And so we, we end up hiding who we truly are behind what we do or what we say or how we believe or how we act. And so as you walk out today, there's a pile of name tags. I'm wondering what it would look like for you today to begin to be comfortable in your own skin. To begin to really believe what God says about your identity. You want to be made whole. We want to experience the wholeness, the fullness of Christ. It begins with being okay with who God made you to be. He doesn't glorify our imperfections. He doesn't say your bad behavior is okay. He says, I can see beyond that bad behavior and I love you the way you are. I want to make you whole again. And it's not by trying harder. It's by believing something that's already true of you, whether you know it or not. Paul talks about this in Colossians. You, and I've said this a lot because it's a core tenet to our faith, you, your life is hidden with Christ in God. So when God looks at you, he doesn't see everything that you've done wrong. He sees his son Christ. That's who you are. You are a saint, not a sinner. You are loved, you are not despised. You no longer have to earn or try. You already have it. Now we just live into something that is already true of us. Loved by God, cherished by God. Would you pray with me? Father, your grace holds us. Not what we do, not what we say, like the song that we sang or we're gonna sing now. Your grace holds us in place because in your grace, 
we find our identity. And this identity is where we begin to experience the wholeness of what, of you, that you offer to us. And so Lord, as we leave today, may we have the courage to write our name on the tag with pride. Because God loves that name. God loves who we are. That's where he wants to begin to transform us. At our deepest level, he wants to reignite our spirit, to awaken our spirits, to be transformed. Spirit, soul, and body. May we come to believe what you say about us instead of what everything else says about us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.